name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Let's just pray our Father together here to start the name. Lord, hear us through the intercession of the Holy Mother, Theotokos, St. Mary, the Great, St. Anthony, Pope Cordus the Sixth, and we pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're actually just trying to buy time because I was supposed to have a whiteboard. Um, <laughs> that's not why we're praying, but I'm, that's why I'm buying time. Um, so while we buy time, um, please bear with me. I'm, I'm pulling an all-nighter, and I'm still in Canada, Ontario time, so it's like past midnight for me. Um, the reason for um, the, the choice of, of the theme for the retreat um, was a playoff of metanoia, metania, or change of mind, or change of heart. Um, and I was told that the GYP October 1 or November, whatever month we're in, is more chill than the Lent one. Um, but what I'm, I'm, what I'm hoping for from the discussion, and there's going to be hopefully a lot of discussion, is, is to reframe our way of thinking, is, is what I'm going for. Um, to not just, like say the status quo things, even if they're true, um, but to understand what they mean when they're put into practice. So today I'm going to be doing a lot of this, um, or today the first lecture, I should say, um, and probably another one where I'm going to ask you guys to talk a lot, um, and it's on purpose. It annoys people, it annoys some people a lot. I don't care today. Um, and then there are other people who really like it, but there's, there's, there's a reason for it. So if I'm leaving something hanging or if I'm being aggressively annoying, that's like, bear with me. Um, especially because I, I like to play devil's advocate. So when I disagree or agree with you, I might not actually disagree or agree with you. I might just be being annoying to bring out a point. Um, so no public stonings um, tonight. Um, and magically, the board will be coming soon. Um, so the lectures will be divided <laughs> into four different talks. Um, and they're meant to lead one into another. The first one is going to be, today's lecture is about what's good. Um, the second one should be about what do I do when things ain't good in American. Um, and then the third one is how do I make things really good? And then the last one is, like, what does that look like? Um, and so what I'm also going to be looking for, not so much in this first one, but in especially in number two and three, is at the beginning of the lecture, I'm going to ask you guys to please tell me, when, I, when we talk about what the topic is, what you want to know about, so that at least even in the conversations, even as we're going through, that if there are some things that are related that we can come back to, we can do. Um, Thanks to you. The markers are not here yet, so don't get too excited. What's <laughs> <laughs> that? Uh, Awkward. Right, where do you want to go? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, can we? Uh, oh, there is. There is. Which, why would it be just an eraser? All right, well, but where do you want this? Hey, uh, can we put it here in the middle? Perfect. Okay. okay, is there a mic that's going around for you guys, too? 
Okay, Peter has the mic. So sometimes if there's a longer comment, then we'll use a mic. If not, if you guys can try and project to help me out, it would be good. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a bunch of questions. Like I said, I'm going to interrogate you a little bit. Um, I might make fun of what you say. Um, I used to debate, and it comes naturally to be a jerk. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I'm going to ask you these initially secularly, okay? Um, so I'm not asking, assuming that you're going to say, because Jesus loves me, etc. Um, I want you to... I want you to rationalize through this the way that you would, quote-unquote, naturally in the world. So first question is, why do you do what you do? It's intentionally vague. Why do you do what you do? Someone says, because it has meaning. What, 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 what gives it a meaning? The result. The result? Oh, we're definitely going to come back to that. Okay. You do what you do because there's meaning, and the meaning is found in the results. Okay. Who else? Why do you do what you do? You have a desire, and you want to fulfill that desire. You have an unfulfilled desire. Okay. Like, how, how do you... Some, okay, someone walk me through how you decide to buy a car. Someone volunteer to walk me through the process. Oh, you're a good one to walk me through that. <laughs> I made a mistake. You, uh, <laughs> you take a look at your current car, and you decide that it's car was hard. Your thoughts, your thoughts precede your actions. Your thoughts, okay, so you've assessed that you have a car worth replacing, and then what did you do? You don't have a car. Or you don't possess a vehicle. You start the thoughts. Okay. And the thoughts begin to guide you through the decision process, what your options are, what you can afford, and then... Okay. So you're saying it depends on budget, emotions, puberty status. And facts, okay, and so there's also, there's some facts. So you reconcile the thoughts with your reality. Okay, how about, how might one purchase a spouse? Or, or get themselves a spouse? <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't buy them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or, or how do you choose where you're going on vacation? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've got this one. How do you choose on how to go on vacation? Okay, so budget, weather, season, activities. Okay, someone answer the spouse one. Don't worry, we're not trying to hook you guys all up. How do you select, how do you, how do you go about choosing a spouse? Okay, commonality. Commonalities, uh, just, you know, things that are not common. Um, just being practical, I guess, like location, you know, what they do, what you do. 
So if you have the same job, you live in the same city, are you well set for marriage? Not necessarily. Okay, why not? Walk, like, walk me through it. Uh, you got to share the, you know, the same belief systems, the same values, same values. You're both baptized, you're both chrismated, servants prep 101, you're all set. Yes. Like, all the, like fundamentals that you would like in, to see with, you know, in your spouse. You'd, you'd like mm -hmm. to see the, the same things you see in yourself. Okay, so let's say you have five people who all meet the criteria. Um, comfort. And, and this is, we're just comfort. going by a second, right? Yeah. Like, that comfort, um, you feel comfortable around them. Um, you can talk to them about anything. How do you decide what the comfort level is? And how did you determine you could talk about anything? I guess it's just how much you can relate to them. How much they can relate to you. How much you have to censure? What if you're wrong in your presumption of censuring? It is. Then, then would it have been better to have married that person that you presumed wrongly of? Sorry, I have to swallow the mic. I don't know. Okay. What makes something good? What's good? So honest. Okay, so I'm going to write some of these down. So honest. Sorry, Monica. I don't know if you guys can read my writing at the back, but that's okay, I can. Um, what makes something good? How do you say this was the good decision? How do you say this was the good thing to do? H happiness. Okay. Right now, these are mostly going to be unchallenged. Happiness. What makes something good? Cause benefit. Why, what do you mean by proof? Like evidence that it's actually good. What's that? Uh, facts. Um, I guess like history behind it. I like this. You guys are setting me up well. What else? What, how would you call it good? Something that brings you up and makes you better. What's better? It's not hindering, it's making you better. Towards what? Your goal. What's your goal? Or your personality. What's that? Or your spiritual life. What's that? Career. What's that? What version of you? I feel like the kid is like, why? Why? <laughs> I think it's personal. I think it's what you make it. I think it's the experience that you come out of it. And it's uh, what you hope. It's the experience you make it, and it's, uh, you know, for example, I like sushi. Sushi is good to me. If people don't like sushi, that's not good to others. Is there such thing as good sushi? Okay, and so how did you determine that there is good by sushi? By me trying different kinds of sushi. So what if the proper experience of sushi is a rotten fish, like fisikh? <laughs> okay, so then which one is good? 
Again, it's your personal preference. It's, it's what you like. So good equals personal preference. You walked into that one. Um, <laughs> I'm playing politics. There's um, <laughs> anyone else? What what's good? Durability. Sorry. Durability. Durability. What about durability makes it good? Like if I have like. You're lucky. You're lucky. This is a church event. Um, <laughs> when it revolutionizes everything, doing what it's already been done twelve times. But if if you're saying that, so then let's say, does does durability count towards goodness if it remains the same in a changing environment? So, for example, if I say, since this religion, or since this philosophy, or since this product, or since this, insert whatever it is you want, has endured X amount of time, does that intrinsically, intrinsically make it good? No, it doesn't. Okay, so can you expand on it? Sorry? No, it doesn't because sin was there since day one. No, it wasn't from day one, it was day seven. Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> actually, it's day six. I messed up. But um, <laughs> okay, I'll 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 leave that one alone. What what what's anyone else? What's what's good? Comfortable. Comfortable. What about comfort makes it good? We're going to come back to this happiness thing. Anyone else? When something functions as it's designed to function. Ooh. I like that guy. Okay. How do you know how something should function? You have to know what it was designed to do. I agree. I'm not even pretending. Okay. Anyone else? Majority rule. Majority rule? Oh, this is great. <laughs> so if society or the majority collective yeah, says, says axios, yeah. says, yeah. Okay. Public assent, communal assent. Um, so let me ask this in a different way to get something else going. How do you perceive goodness? How does one have a perception that something is good? I'm saying you might be annoyed at these questions, but they're important. Because you don't understand, like I think we don't understand as a people how relevant this question is to every single thing that we do. Okay? So how do we perceive goodness? How does one say, oh, I knew that was good? Especially in a society where we're all over the emojis. Helena. If it's, if it's in line with your values. Mm. In line with values, how do you get your values? Life experience. Life experience? Okay, so let's say, actually, no, I won't go there yet. I won't say anything. Okay, how else do we perceive the good? 
Cañón. So cause benefit for yeah. greatest number. So in that line of thought, Hitler was really good. Okay. What if there's a perceived harm from these group of people called the Jews who represent a tiny percentage of the population? And so the amount of harm in their viewpoint from their worldview is minimal by inflicting on here to improve the group. Just asking. What, what would be different in the... I know you're not saying that, but I'm well, saying no. what would be the rationalization well, there? So I wouldn't... It depends how you quantify harm. And so the magnitude of what was perpetrated there clearly makes it... Evil. So you're saying the magnitude of negative outcome has a say in it? Okay. I'm gonna have to erase this all soon. Go ahead. Actually, I like this one. Something functions as it should. I would like to add and exceeds expectations. And exceeds expectations. Where'd it go? Okay. Can we add to the list? I didn't hear you, sorry. My bad, eat the mic like me. <laughs> helping and serving other people. What makes that good? Because there are some people that have everything and others that have nothing. And there are people so how does that stack up against the cost benefit for the most number of people? Not that this one's necessarily true or right. I'm just asking. I mean, there could always be a cost, but it's whether they want to bear the cost or not. Okay. Willingness and belief in the cost. Okay. So, I'm trying, I wrote down this question, but I don't know if it's comprehensible. What should be the mindset of choosing an action or not choosing an action? So, what's my, what's my frame of mind when I'm choosing or not choosing to do something? Because I'm always choosing one or the other, to do or not to do. Okay, so I'm now about to make or not make a decision. What should be my mindset? Um, and if I choose not to do something... What is that mindset, um, and what does that mean? And, and attached to that is how do you assess the outcome? Is that too philosophical or too much at once? Okay. So what are we thinking when we make decisions or not make decisions? What is that mindset, and what does it mean to do or not to do, and the consequences of that? Daniel? Are you still asking in a secular sense? Um, Yes-ish. Like, you're allowed to bring in religion. I'm, I was intentionally asking secular because a point I want to make late, later, not because of what I think people think I'm doing it for. But, um, but if you want to be religious in it, by all means, go for it. If it builds and it's profitable. If it builds and it's profitable. Okay. So then how, again, how are we discerning 
a building profitable thing? How does one, how does one measure that? If it helps or if it adds So someone wants to put screens up in the church. I hope that's not too touchy of a subject. Okay, so you have Camp A. I'm just going to use this as an example to say build, help building up. Okay, and I want your input on it. Not about solving the crisis, but just of the mindsets. Um, camp A, nope, distracting, takes away the beauty of the church, takes away our attention from the books. It is not building me up. Another person, Camp B, is saying, I was unable to comprehend what was being said until I saw it on a screen in front of me, and it is building me up now. How do we determine the good? And which good out trumps the other good? Sorry to put you on the spot. I guess it could be... No, no, go for it. Right, we're brainstorming right now. Okay. It could be. So how did you determine, or how does one, not you specifically, how does one determine that good? How is somebody able to say, how does someone even get to decide, well, it's good that you understand. Maybe someone will be like, no, enjoy the mystery. That's good. That could be valid too. How did we decide the good? Use other models that already both Who decided that that model was good? I mean, no, like, look at someone who has screens at their church. Right. I look at someone who doesn't have screens at their church. But there's still an assessment. It's hard to say. I, I get what you're saying. Okay. But I'm saying but there's still an assessment of another person's implementation of the same um, concept. And who decided that paying attention is good or bad? Um, it eliminates that they're not paying. If they're looking at the screen, it mm -hmm. eliminates that they're looking at their phone. And they find Jesus in their phone. Um, but he's also right there on the screen. Right. And so who decided that Jesus was gooder on the screen than the phone? Oh, bigger. So, okay. <laughs> bigger is better. Okay. <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> Jesus is bigger on this screen. I'm being intentionally annoying. Like, it's, this, is, this is on purpose. Go ahead. Basically, to, I guess, to, I can't believe any, nobody has said that yet, but it's the opposite of bad. What's bad? It's the evil. What we experience as bad. Does evil exist? Uh... Is there a substance called evil? No. So to say it's the opposite of bad means it's the opposite of non-existence, which is existence, which is a very deep statement and is true. Um, but <laughs> if that's where you're going with it. But <laughs> I'll, I'll skip this. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to flog a, a dead horse. Let me. Let me bring this to something more real, because I want you to reflect on society. This is, I stole this example from uh, a Western ethicist named Sandel. Um, so I'm going to give you this scenario, and I want you to think about this, about this. Um, suppose you are the driver of a trolley car, 
hurtling down the track at 60 miles an hour. Up ahead, you see five workers standing on the track, tools in hand. Okay? You try to stop, but you can't. Um, the brakes don't work. So you feel desperate because you know you're about to kill five workers, right? The car, the trolley's going to hit them. But just at the last second, you realize that the, you can pull the trolley on a side route and kill one person, okay, instead of five. What do you do? What is the right thing to do? What is, what is the good thing to do in this case? How many of you would say take out the five because it was going that direction already? Okay, one. How many else? Anyone else? You're allowed. I won't stone you tonight either, just like I won't be. Okay, how many would be like, well, obviously there's only one versus five. Let's kill one instead of five. That's better. How many of you guys are just like closing your eyes? Like, <laughs> how many of you, no, 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 like, like want everyone to vote. How many of you would kill five instead of one? We had one, two, three, four, five. How many would kill one instead of five? Yeah, so you're, you're, well, you're driving, but you're going to live because you're in a bigger thing, and bigger is better. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> okay, so majority right now, which we said majority is right, and majority is good. Um, you want to make a left? No, there's no left. Okay. Sorry? Oh. This is very nice. So then we, we're talking about different values of life. I'm not going to go there right now. Um, do, the, do the five people know that there's an actual train line that trains are coming? They're about to find out. David. Does not matter how old they are? Okay, I'm going to skip those ones because I don't know where I'm going to go with it. Let me, let me change it up. So most of you said one dying instead of five better situation. Let's pretend you're a bystander on top of a bridge and you're observing this whole thing happening. And there's a fat guy standing beside you like me where you're like, I can push this guy off the bridge and he'll land in front of the trolley and stop it and he'll die and we'll save that five and that one and there's just one dead guy here. How many of you would go for that one? And now I'm asking those of you who said, say, like, kill one instead of five. Okay, those of you who said kill five, don't worry about this one. Those who said kill one instead of five. How many of you are comfortable with that scenario when it is still killing one instead of five? Sorry? One instead of six. Yeah, one instead of six. Why? And if you're, if you're saying, no, I would never do that, that's so mean. Why? Why is that not good? I feel like if they're on the tracks, they should be responsible and it shouldn't be the bad guy's fault to save everybody because he's being safe and not being on the track. Okay, so I'm not talking about the, the, the physiological and physical aspect of, of the functioning as much as the ethical evaluation of what is the right response to the situation as it is, right? Regardless of, of who's right or wrong or the system or safety and, and no lights and whatever, right? Is, is in making that decision, should that person throw, push the guy off the bridge? And if you're saying no, why not? Someone's going to die. I have kind of a question. Okay. Okay. Am I pushing that person off the bridge? Yes. The in those scenarios? <laughs> uh, so in that scenario, we've now turned you into the bystander only. But I'm still the driver. Like, yeah. 
But yeah, but now you're making a different ethical decision. The driver was making an ethical decision of killing one versus five, and you're making an ethical decision of killing one versus five. And sorry, in scenario B, there's not a one guy option on the side. In scenario B, it's one guy on the bridge or five guys on the road. My bad. Yeah, sorry, that changes it. So it is one versus five. Were you going to go for it? Okay. I think, because I went with like scenario one so it's, you're saying that it's different because you're participating in what way? Because the guy is participating in both. You're either pushing someone off a bridge or you're running someone over. So what's the difference in the participation? With who I'm running over? Does that make sense? Like I have to run someone over. Right. But I can choose to push that person. So you're saying choice has a big factor in this? Okay. Um, I think what you might mean is deliberateness. Okay. I am on that bridge, right? Yeah. And so why I can jump? You know, why should I push someone? You're not big enough. <laughs> no, no, it's specifically because this person, like this was actually the one written in the in the in the scenario. The person was big enough that it was gonna stop it. Right? But the person who's having to push isn't. If they jumped, they would die and the other five would die. What what considered the what considered a murder one is what one is an accident, so I don't want to murder someone. But who decided that? Who decided the definition of murder and manslaughter? Well, I'm assuming I'm in a society that has laws. And how do laws form? People sit around in a big... Uh, People sit around and talk about it. Isn't the better yeah. question why our inclination to do the utilitarian thing veers so much from the actual right answer? We're going to come to that. <laughs> Anyone else have a justification for it or, 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 or not? I don't want to flog a dead horse. Let me ask you another question. Just to, to get an, an, um, this, is the, this, this example is real. This one's not a hypothetical. After Hurricane Charlie in 2004, you all Americans, $2 bags of ice were sold for $10. Okay, there's no hydro. There's no hydro. Um, and so, in the city, they were charging $2, for $2 bags of ice, they are charging $10, um, because there are no, there's no power for refrigerators or air conditioning. Contractors offered to clear two trees off of one homeowner's roof for $23,000. Household generators that usually cost $250 were sold for $2,000, and motel rooms for $40 are going for $160. What do you think of that? Given that you, you have a country that believes in, so does Canada, um, free market, right? That we don't believe in quote unquote price fixing. Um, and so there's an issue of justice here to the person who's selling, right? That in, in a free market society, the commodity value is determined subjectively. 
So is it good what happened? And if you're going to say no, then try and articulate why it's not good. Because, and I want you to realize that you're pitting against goodness and of, of, of humans, okay, versus um, a goodness of freedom. So which, which was right? I don't think it's right because, I don't think it's right because I don't think it's a good thing to profit off somebody's hardship. Okay. Because by doing that, you're profiting off of their hardship. Okay, and what if the person reacts saying, that's sad that you have hardship. I have hardship too, and this is my booming time for business, which helps me and my family through our hardships that we're going through right now. Just playing devil's advocate. And, and how would you respond if I said, sucks to be you, um, but don't you value freedom for all? Does your personal comfort trump my personal freedom within the same country? Marianne. Wouldn't the answer be that it's all relative? Like, this is... I had this conversation today. Isn't it all relative? Depends on how each person thinks. We're going to very much come back to that in a, in a few moments. Are there any of you who think that, yes, actually, it is good that the person be allowed to set the price that they want? And can you, can you just briefly say why? Well, just in response to what you were saying, what, what stops someone else to go buy that generator for a cheaper price and then because it's in demand, we can go turn around and sell it for a lot more money. And now the person who's selling it is being shortchanged and they're not getting, like you said, they're not getting what they need in the time of need as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's bad people out there all the time. And no matter what, uh, no matter what happens, people are going to exploit the situation. Right. And actually what you said is what the response was. So my question for you, these are not just hypotheticals to have like a, a cute conversation about good and bad. Okay. But my question for you is actually a deeper one. What do you think about a society in which any of those decisions were made? Because it's one thing to sit around a table and say, what would you do if you had to kill one or five? But what you, what do you, how do you react when an actual decision was made to kill one or five? What do you think? What would be your personal reaction, your personal response to like this price gouging um, incident that happened after the hurricane? What would you as a member of society be saying or feeling in reaction to something like that? Outrage, right? How would you feel about your fellow citizens who agreed or disagreed with you? Right. Would it, be, would it be peaceful, do you think? Okay, because what I'm trying to get at here is we have this sense of, in the West, of um, let's agree to disagree. The sooner you can learn to respect each other's decisions, we can all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Maybe, like if you're talking about what to eat for dinner. But when we're talking about something that has meaning, as you guys have said, right, it's not so easy. Right? Imagine, for example, if you live in a society where someone said, I am going to push them off the bridge. And you say, well, that's my brother that you pushed off the bridge. Right? Then suddenly it's like, well, no, actually, I think that's ridiculous that happened. Or you might say, well, he's a hero. I'm so proud of my brother. Could be either one. Right? What do you think of the five 
that got ran over versus the one, right? So my question is, what does it do within a society when we have a different concept of good? What does that mean about the society when you have a different concept of good? That's what I wanted to reflect on. Any thoughts on that? I think all this kind of shows that in our value of good, we uh, we have good as kind of like a price. As you're getting at it, it's a, kind of almost a very capitalist way of looking at things. That something is more valuable than something else. And we have more good than something else based on the value we ascribe to a person. Like, right. very individualistic. Um, as opposed to maybe a more effective view of everything as good and as valuable. Um, and maybe not one thing being more valuable than the other. Right. Now, do you guys think that in any of those scenarios, anybody articulated why something was actually good or not? Because it's all relative, right? Sorry, it's going to take me a bit. <laughs> Try and make small talk. <laughs> oh, there is? Oh, that's logical. <laughs> but my decision was more good. <laughs> Bigger is better. That is the that is the theme of the night, my friend. Okay. You guys actually perfectly brought up a whole bunch of things, um, and I want you to have just for a second. You don't have to answer this out loud because I'm not looking for having a vicious debate about these things. I want you to realize that this is the crux of the real issue that we're facing in society. When we talk about something like abortion. Okay, and I'm not talking about abortion, good or bad. You have somebody who's, somebody who's arguing <laughs> for um, what, what a certain group would, 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 would say is about a woman's right to her body and her choice. And you have another group that's not discussing that. That's not what they're arguing. What they're arguing about is whether or not there's an absolute value to life. Right? So we're having two completely different conversations and, and screaming at each other. Um, and so in doing so, the question that I'm asking is not just a question of who's right. It's about your reaction to that decision of saying, and what does it mean to live in a society that puts a value on X or Y? That's what I'm asking you to reflect on, right? Of, 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 of you saying, for example, if there was price gouging, I could picture myself saying, I don't want to live in a society where it's okay to do this, right? I don't want to live in a society where it's okay to charge the guy for whatever my reasons are for why I came up with that, this much money in his hardship, as you said, of I, I don't feel that it's just to profit off of somebody's agony, right? That might be my stance. And so what I'm saying is that this is an internal visceral reaction to me saying, I completely disagree with your value. I'm not singing Kumbaya with you. Okay, in fact, I think it's outright wrong. And, and is this a value I want in my society, right? Insert topic here, okay? I'm not trying to specify it to a particular thing. And so the same comes up with, do you vote for legalization of same-sex marriages? I'm not going into that debate either, right? But what I'm trying to say is, what is the valuing that's occurring? What is the question being asked of you 
because you are making an evaluative statement. Evaluative meaning you're assessing something. And when you assess something, that means something, and we're going to come to that. Because we have a society telling us, we have a culture, even in the church, saying, right, it's subjective, it's how you feel, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, making very strong condemnatory statements about particular things. It can't be both ways, right? You can't, you can't call it all subjective and be evaluative at the same time. Evaluative assumes a standard of measure. Um, so what makes pleasure or pain bad? Think about that. How do I determine if pleasure or pain is good or bad? Because we've had some things going with how I feel about it, right? Receiving certain medicinal therapies, not talking about weed, um, might be very painful, but very good for you. Right? So how did I assess the goodness or the badness? And so to do that, I'm, I was asking all these questions to say, here's the common ways that people tend to look at the good. So um, no one explicitly actually brought this one up. But you did indirectly by accident, I think, maybe intentionally, a duty-based approach. Okay? So this is, this is a question of, um, actually you guys did say it. There's a question of what am I supposed to do? You guys kind of danced around it, of this sense of duty, right? Of if my um, fellow comrade is down because of the hurricane, I have a sense of duty to help him, right? Like that would be good for me to do. This is a duty-based approach. Um, Immanuel Kant um, those of you who have taken philosophy probably know him. He's a brilliant guy, um, atheist, brilliant. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, actually, maybe. Um, and I don't mean that in a mean way. But um, what Kant says, for example, is what I can't wish, and, to, and raise your hands at the end of the statement if you agree with this, what I can't wish for all of society, I shouldn't wish for myself for it's bad. So, for example, if I'm going to butt in line, okay, then I have to be okay with everyone in society butting in line for me to call this a good action. How many of you would agree with that? Raise your hands. You're, like, I'm not going to crucify you for your opinions. Okay. I, I agree, too. Okay. That's a duty-based approach. Um, so, what Kant, Kant is saying is if you can't universalize it, it's not good. That's not all of his philosophy, but it's a core um, teaching of, of his. So that's, that's duty-based, which you guys are saying. The one you guys were mostly leaning on is consequentialist way of looking at things. And you can guess what that means, right? That the result of the action is what leads you um, to think whether it's good or bad. Right, which is what Daniel was saying and a bunch of, of you guys were saying. So in a consequentialist approach, you're saying, well, if, if it works out, it's good. Right? This is where your cost-benefit analysis might come in. Right? Of being like, how many people does it serve? Does it do X, Y, and Z? Um, Z for y'all. Um, and, so, and so you'll often, in this kind of mindset, come to the conclusion of like, well, I guess the best you can do is in this situation, insert decision here. And the third one is 
a virtue-based, which you guys were also kind of talking about, um, which is that goodness is an attribute of a person rather than it being um, an act itself, right? So this is, um, this is a very Greek philosophy type thing. This is why Aristotle in particular, actually, um, this is one of the reasons why Aristotle and the Desert Fathers have a lot going in common, but not fully in common. So this is saying virtue is a quality of person, right? That it's a matter of what is the character of the person doing it. If you want to learn how to be patient, there's no standard of patience other than the patient dude or dude. Is that you go to the person who's patient and say, well, that person is clearly patient, right? So go learn it from them. So which of these three do you think is right and why? Do you think goodness is an act, an outcome, or an attribute? I'm not going to answer yet. So you're saying all of them? What do you guys think? Okay, why is it an attribute? The action is perceived, perceived from someone with that attribute. The outcome, the result of the actions, cascades off from that attribute. Okay. So then, what if I have a really generous person who makes a decision that causes poverty for one person, can I still say it was good? If, or choose anything that matches the thing, you know what I'm trying to get at? The good's in the intent, right? I mean, sure, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but like, at the end of the day, it was that person's desire, the outcome, they couldn't be helped. It's not necessarily attributable to their malintent. So how did you determine, I guess what I'm asking is, how did you determine the goodness of the situation? I was presuming. I think a duty-based approach is probably the closest. I think it distances a person from actions. Okay. But likely. Um, but I, so here's, here's to be, I guess, the confusion is how would that approach reconcile someone like the, the Nazi problem, right? Like somebody comes to your door and says, if you're, if you're hiding, we need Jews in your house, we're going to kill everyone. Mm -hmm. Do you lie then to save the people that you're hiding in your home? Lying obviously would be a violation of a duty-based approach. A duty-based approach would be the closest. I'm not going to debate it. In your view, yes. Because I'm going to draw an X mentally soon. Um, what I would ask with a duty-based approach is not just the Nazi question, but then also what determines what I have a duty towards. And in what proportions? So God will take advantage. Right. And so what if I am an evolutionary Kantian, right, who believes that even though 
this decision might not affect the immediate good of humanity. It might, in the overall picture of it, I'm just throwing randomness out there. But I think you would still say in that context that treating the people around you as an, an end in themselves and not as a means would still be Okay. So that you're treating people, so that your actions aren't affecting people around you in any negative way. Right. I'm going to come back to that. Um, do any of you want to go with, uh, consequentialist? And I'll challenge you for those of you who are saying, no, you never do. Have you never said, oh, it's a good thing that this happened or this would not have happened? So on some level, you have some consequentialist to you too, um, as, as people. Um, why I'm saying all of this is going to come more clear in a second as I try and wipe this all out, because this is, in my view, all nice but irrelevant, um, in the sense that um, there's a really good book I recommended to you all. It's, it's a dense book called After Virtue by Alasdair McIntyre. Um, and he says, imagine, I'm going to butcher his analogy, but imagine um, there's this cool civilization that had cars, that had all sorts of cool gadgets and, and, and gizmos, and some mass world crisis happens where that whole civilization is buried in the day, okay? And civilization continues elsewhere. Then, like 200 years later, they dig out um, these artifacts, and they can decode the language. They know this is called the car. Right? They know what different things are called, okay? um, but they're using them completely different than, we've, than, than we did in our civilization, and they think they're right. So they're still using the word car, and it's still referring to something that might look like a car, but is not at all being used like a car. Right? What he's trying to say is that this is what's happened for us with virtue and ethics, is that we're using a language that means different things now, um, as if they meant the same things they did when people said it. For example, um, today, if I were to say, man, I feel so badly for that serial killer, or so bad if I'm in America, because you killed the adverb, um, I would probably socially feel a pressure to justify why I feel badly for him. Because people think I shouldn't feel badly for the serial killer or for the whoever did whatever. Whereas the real meaning of compassion is specifically usually meant for those who don't deserve compassion. And so then now, like, oh, man, I feel so badly for that single mom who has no money. Good, you, sh you ought to, right? But, but no one feels the need to be like, but it's not because I think this is okay, right? Like, no one has to add that. Like preface to it, but for the serial killer, like I am not condoning serial killing. I am not saying I would do that. I am not. I am not. I am not. I just feel badly for the guy, right? And there'll still be like the social justice warriors ready to crucify you, okay? And so this is what we're trying to 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 get to. So um, to get to where I want to go with it, I want to talk to you guys about emotivism, which is. It's all relative. But to talk about emotivism, I can't speak anymore. Um, we're gonna, I'm just going to briefly, this is not just a philosophy class. I know you guys might hate me, but I'm hoping that you'll see where this is going before we get into the meat of 
any kind of spiritual life. Um, also, fourth talk, in case people are planning on going home, I, that's the talk I want to talk more about living saints and miracles to talk about where this all goes. Okay. I don't know if you can see that. So evaluative statements, factual statements, and preferences. Oh, and I forgot one. Normative. We'll start with normative. Does anybody know what a normative statement is? So a normative statement is a statement of something that ought to be the norm, right? These are statements like, it's just wrong to kill. Okay, I'm, I'm assuming this to be a norm for all. We're all good. Anyone, if anyone at any point is like, slow down, just tell me. Evaluative um, is another kind of statement, okay? Um, because evaluative has built into it the concept that something has worth or value, right? That's why it's evaluative. It's me assessing whether or not how much something is worth. So even when you say things like neutral, I'm neutral towards that, it means in saying that you think it's neutral, that you believe that there is a positive and a negative and a neutral. Otherwise, you couldn't claim neutrality, right? You have, there's no such thing as not having a, a stance if you're using that kind of language. Um, so it's this statement about the rightness or wrongness of an action. Um, in our society, we tend to talk about good and bad for people and right and wrong for actions, for whatever reason, but they're basically synonyms. Um, versus a factual statement, which is self-explanatory, right? A factual statement should be something that is either true or false. There's just a fact about it. There is or isn't gravity, okay? This, this is or isn't a table, right? There is a, there's an objective clear answer that can be determined. Um, and then there are preferences, right? Which is just, I, I like that. Okay? So, um, emotivism, this is what I think is the disease of our society, even inside of our, our churches, is when we think that an evaluative statement and sometimes even a factual statement is nothing more than a preference. Again, emotivism is when I reduce an evaluative statement to a level of preference. This is how we get the whole, um, that's what you believe, and that's really, really nice. So, to get a sense of when this tension can be there, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to have an abortion debate, but in conversing with somebody in another country, um, the person was upset about, about a discussion about, about abortion. And so I asked the question of, do you believe that it is um, wrong to have an abortion? She said, no, because I don't consider it to be a lie. So, okay, no problem. So after the baby is born, is it okay to kill them? And she said, no, that's not acceptable. Why? Because I think killing is wrong. Okay, and, and her, her stance, the motivist stance that was, that was before this conversation is that everybody has their own right and wrong. I'm just trying to say, here's where we run into conflicts. So I asked her, well, then what do you think about the Inuit um, in northern um, Canada? who under particular circumstances, not under every circumstances, um, were permitted, I don't know if they still are, um, to commit infanticide. They're allowed to kill their infants under particular circumstances. 
are they wrong? And she said, no. She's like, okay, well then I don't, like there's a problem here. Right, because you said this person is wrong and this person is not wrong. So either you're saying it's just a preference, emotivism, or we have a problem understanding the evaluation and we need to revisit the evaluation. So I'm not trying to say she's dumb or she's not dumb. I'm sure she has a reason for saying what she's saying. What I'm trying to get at is this is what we have as an underlying problem in society, but the purpose of this retreat isn't even about society. Where this retreat is actually about how this takes place in your spiritual life. When you treat evaluative spiritual doctrines as preferences. And then say, well, because for me is different. So I'm not just trying to have a tirade on, on the state of modern whatever you want to ism you want to talk about. Um, and so it's not about whether the majority of people believe it's a fact or not. Even if consensus might matter. Go ahead. So it's like, now I'm thinking of like Daniel, and you know the three young, uh, Daniel and the three young men, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abdenal, and Joseph, they were against the society, you know, so Daniel refused to worship the idol, the statue, and the three million demons. They threw them in the fire, so they didn't care, and they didn't care about the society because God inside them, and mm -hmm. they decided this, God's decision. I also have the Holy Spirit. So even if it's like we make all calculations, but we still have the Holy Spirit to tell us this is right. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get there eventually. Okay? Because what I want right now, the reason for going through this exercise is I can just tell you here's how we think and that's dumb. But I want you to engage with your own thoughts to understand how you think. Right? If you don't become cognizant of how you think, that's why I was asking, why do you do what you do? When you decide to do something, you're evaluating something. Every one of you is constantly making evaluative decisions. And when you do that, do you have a criteria? Because if you don't, you're crazy. <laughs> Sorry. Right? Like, how many of you would be like, well, I got in a car and I figured I'm just going to decide on the spot like how I'm going to drive it. That's messed up, right? That, that's dumb, right? And so we, we, we can see it clearly in the operation of, of, of a vehicle. But this is your whole life, right? How do you decide to do what you do? How do you evaluate the decision that you make? Um, and so what's going on right now is that when people, is that people have started to, to think that their decision, and they're actually right in a way, but they don't know why, they associate their evaluations with their identities. So that now when you disagree with someone, it means that you think they're bad, right? It's like, I disagree with you, and like, oh, he thinks I'm bad, you're judging me. Maybe, I don't know, I might have, I don't know, but that's irrelevant. Right? It's, it's irrelevant to whether or not I'm evaluating this action. Right? I might be psycho too, but that's also relevant, maybe. So it's, it's, it's this association that we're making that's actually nonsensical. And so emotivism has led to one major thing, which is force. Whoever can scream the loudest wins. Right? How many likes do you get? 
how many followers do you have, right? I was watching some really stupid show. I don't even remember what it was yesterday. And they were like, oh, it was, uh, the show within them was actually pretty good. The comments were dumb. Um, it was um, X Factor Celebrities. And when they were discussing the auditioners, like these celebrities, they were like, these two collectively have five million followers. And I'm like, how is that relevant to their voice? Like, oh, wow, if everyone follows them, they must sing amazingly now, right? Like, how did we arrive from this to this, right? Like, it's, 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 it's nonsense, right? Or I, if you give in a statement being like, yeah, I don't really like to do that, it'll be like, well, simmer down, saying whoever. And, we, and even Christians do this to each other. It's not just like secular society doing it to others, right? It's Christians doing it to each other, like, oh, you're fasting. <laughs> oh, pray for us, right? <laughs> so that the poor guy that's fasting is being, like, victimized <laughs> for doing something he's supposed to do um, or she's supposed to do. Um, and so what I want to take you with that to because um, I'm going to arrive at the same place that I always do at the first talk of any kind of retreat, but I'm just taking a different route to get there. Aristotle says that in every action, you do something for the sake of. So if we can build a really crummy period, pyramid of circles... And, and just imagine there's an arrow in it. And what these arrows mean is that I do every action, every single action, and the Desert Fathers and even the Patristic Fathers often went to Plato and Aristotle. Many of them, I shouldn't say many, a number of them felt that they were divinely inspired as well. I'm not saying this is doctrine. I'm just using it to, to, to illustrate a point. That every action has for the sake of. What is for the sake of? of why am I doing this action? To Aristotle, the ultimate is happiness, right? So I might choose to brush my hair because I want to look good, because I want attention, and because attention makes me happy, right? You can feel anything. Anything that everyone has their own pyramid, right? Everybody's got these decisions that they're making. These, the, the bottom of them are like your day-to-day -day, like regular stuff, and they get more serious as you go up. And so he's saying that the top here is reason X, and this is the ultimate good. This is the, the highest level of good, which Aristotle says is happiness. How many of you agree that it's happiness? Raise your hands if you think it's happiness. Don't be shy if you do. Okay, so I'm going to disagree. It's not. There's already an X, so I can't. I'll just draw a bigger X, because bigger is better. Um, All of us are making these decisions. Society is making decisions. But what is the real reason, the real true reason that should be behind any decision? I want some of your answers. I'm not going to answer back. I'm going to just hear them. You said, you said that happiness, not happiness, but I, I really equate happiness to love. If I see love as my greatest benefactor for everything that I do, then I'm going to equate it to 
What is love to you? Sorry, I lied. I am going to ask you a question. So what do you think is love? It's, it's personal, but if it's personal, can you ever make a truly evaluative statement? Sorry to put you on the spot. What what should be the, what is the real reason? And if you say God, I want to understand why you're saying God too, not just to say it because I'm a priest. <laughs> but you could you could make an evaluative statement about something that's subjective because there's nothing to say that you can't decide something. People True. Can you assess it to be factual? Is probably a better way. Can you? With certainty, say that the evaluation was true. I mean, if the, if the standard is that, if you're going to that level of factual certainty, can you know anything? We'll go with that one-on-one -on -one because I know you like to debate those things. Because <laughs> I would like to go there, but it'll take me a different train route with no one dying. Can things be also subjective and objective at the same time? Like well, I'm going to come back to that. We'll come back to that. And yes, in short, but I'll come back to that. What should be, what is the reason for everything? This is where I want you to be a little bit religious. Life or death. Life or death, that's true, but not for the reason you think. I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. Because I'm, I'm so good. <laughs> Biologically, our reason to, to exist on, on Earth is to pass out your genes and improve on. Is that the reason? How do you know that? Well, this is how we pass on. This is how. Or you you can observe that happening, but how can you determine that that's the reason? Because things have gone extinct. Exactly. So if they've gone extinct, then they didn't live just for passing on genes, because or they failed at their existence. Well, they failed. Right, but you're making an evaluation, and I'm saying, how did you determine that there's a right and a wrong and a neutral to that evaluation? It was subjective. Marianne. Yes, and maybe not, but I'm not sure, um, for the reason that you think. But it's not the expression I'm looking for. And I'm going to be annoying. I want you to use your minds. I really want you to use your minds. I can just say it. What gives reason to everything? Survival gives reason to everything. No, we make objects that aren't meant to survive. Existence? Absolutely. Okay? Existence. The certain thing that we know is existence. What is the one, what is the name of the one who is, who is existing? Jesus. Yes. The answer is, he exists. And that built into the cross nicely. He exists. I, I want you to pause for a second and just, I want you to think about that. Okay? Because things, the claim of belief, I'm not going to have a debate with you about whether or not to believe in God. Okay? The claim 
of a theistic religion, which I'm assuming you're members of, is that there's a creator. If something, how do you determine something's purpose? It's by going back and saying, for what reason was this thing made? That's how you do it, right? You can't evaluate a table unless someone told you what a table's for or something, right? You can't evaluate any random thing and just say, if someone hands you a random, like a white blank paper and says, is this a good paper? I don't know. What are we looking for? The color? Shape? How long it is? How big it is? How, what shape, like the, whether it folds well? How do I determine it? How do I determine what, how my car should be functioning? Why is there such thing as a service engine light? Because there's such thing as an engine, and an engine has properties, and a property determines its function to some extent. There's, there's something we know about these things, and we're using that to make a decision. The premise of everything in existence, to a Christian theist in particular, is the existence of God. And in so doing, God did not wake up one morning and be like, bored, let's make man. Right? If he did, which exists in some mythologies, right, that would completely change our meaning today. It would be, I exist at somebody's whim. So I can't make a normative statement other than whether or not I'm satisfying that God's whim. Right? Or if I'm a Babylonian and it was because the gods are pissed off, then I exist because I need to appease the gods and be their slaves. But the claim in Christianity is that there's a god. The god didn't need to make. He made. He made out of one motivation, love. He wasn't in need to love. He was already love. He is love. That's why when you said love, um, I think it depends. If you're tying love to his identity, then yes. Um, and designed man, right? Irrespective of how he made man, what mechanism he made is irrelevant. It's what is the reason for man? And was there a design to man? And we are told that man was made in the image and likeness of God. And so there is an objective way of making evaluative statements because how do you determine what is the image and likeness of God? How do you find that out? What is that question asking? If I'm trying to determine what is the image and likeness of God, what is, what is that question really asking? What are the attributes and characteristics of God? Precisely. What are the attributes and characteristics of God? Because they're not random. Because it's an existential question. It's not utilitarian. It's not value-based. It's not any of the three. Those, those might be how we deal with the subjective. That's where subjective and objective come in. Where, yes, we might have to debate those things. Right? But where there's an absolute, there's an absolute because of the identity of God himself. Right? So when we say purity, it's not because some old man who didn't have a wife said, oh, let's, let's make everyone pure because I am. Right? That's not how it happened. Right? God is saying, this is me. I don't know how to be impure. And you are my offspring. In the same way that we believe in there's an, 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 on some level, well, I don't know if we do anymore, um, of objective health. 
right? That I can say somebody's kidney is not functioning properly because I have a concept of what a properly functioning kidney should look like. It's objective. And so we look for different ways to test it, right? To say, how can I determine X, Y, and Z? But I still have a concept of real health. And because I have a concept of real health, because of that, I can step back and say, something's wrong. And I can say wrong confidently. I don't have to say, well, in my, my opinion, um, I feel like a heart should pump blood. Um, I know this one's not. I don't know about your culture, but in, in mine, we like them to pump blood, right? No one, no one thinks that's rational, right? And the same thing is true of our spiritual lives. And so the question was, how do you determine to do what you're doing is, does your mind ever go to what is the image and likeness of God? Is that where your mind goes? This, the whole theme of this retreat is rethink, reframe. That's where your mind should go, right? So that if I'm trying to think of subjective example, do I go to UC Long Beach or do I go to... <laughs> doesn't exist. That's good. <laughs> Santa Barbara. Sorry, I was trying to think of the party school. Um, <laughs> do I go to UC Santa Barbara? UCR. UCR, they've got a good Coptic club. Um, so do I, or do I go there? And so is there an objective right or wrong? Maybe not, but then I have to ask a question of me, this human, with who I am, with my subjective and objective aspects, maybe I'm somebody who is more prone to be influenced by other people. Subjectively, if I'm looking at the objective of being in the image and likeness of God, maybe going to the party school is not a good idea for me. For the person for whom that's not even an issue on the radar, that's not an issue on the radar. <laughs> They're not asking that question because that's not their issue. Right? Their question might be, which one is going to allow me, within the profession that I'm choosing, to live according to the image and likeness, because part of the image and likeness is to be at the feet of everyone in love. And so maybe theirs is going to be, um, do I have access to a church? Maybe it's going to be, no, I want knowledge, not just for the sake of knowledge, but to be the best servant to your kids, God. But this is where their mind is going to go. If they're looking at a career, right, uh, uh, choosing a job, is their mind going to be going to um, which one makes me the richest, fastest, and gives me the most prestige? This one. Boom. Done. Right? Maybe that's the right decision. It might be, but not for that reason. It's not going to be that reason. If what you're coming back to is image and likeness of God. And so if your mind is never going into image and likeness of God, it means that you are making evaluative statements with absolutely no foundation, calling yourself a Christian and having no clue what it even means to be a Christian. No offense, right? But this is what we do, not just you. We all do this, right? And then we sit there and we come back to Jesus, right? And be like, oh, Lord, where were you? I tried so hard, and I didn't get in, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that, and I failed this exam, and I bombed my MCATs, and this was all for you, Lord. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Okay? You didn't think about him until it was like MCAT exam time, and then you like bribed five saints and asked your like holy aunt, <laughs> right, in like in Beba to write down your name on the altar, and then did an altar ballot of do I go to this room or this room, and that was your religiousness. Why is this a problem? Because you're killing the name of Christianity and the name of your God. Because you're you're dealing with God in an infantile level. We all do this, and presenting it as mature spirituality. And this is why so many people look at Christians and be like, that's dumb. Because it is. It's really dumb. Right? It's fine to be an infant when you are an infant. But you got to go somewhere at some point. Right? If everybody sits there like tub-tubbing on the five-year-old because he like for the first time kicked the ball in a straight line, like good for you. Be the best you you can be. Right? And he's claiming to want to be a good soccer player. And he's 15 and he still can only kick the ball in one direction. I can't even do that. But how many people are like, good for you, right? I'm I want you on my team. No, you don't, right? Unless you really want to lose, right? If your objective is losing, okay? But that's, it's irrational, right? Because he's a crappy player. Right? Let's not pretend it is what it, like, what it isn't. And so goodness for us, it's not a value. It's not a character. It's not a consequence. It's not an action. Goodness is a person. It's an identity. Goodness is an identity. That's why it's closest to Aristotle and that he's associating with character. Where it stops for him is that he's not saying that there's an objective good character, which is the divine, right? And so the question for a Christian is, who is this God? What are his attributes? That's how I can find out what I'm supposed to do or not supposed to do in a particular situation. It's not arbitrary. And so when I come back to that understanding, then my whole life actually becomes full of purpose. Because then you have to put everything in the context of why it was made. Why is there such thing as family? For those who would say, I value family above all. Why is there such thing as friends? For those who say, above loyalty and friendship and, and such overall. Why is there work? If I say, I value my work above all. All these are different kinds of personalities that exist. But can you answer the question of, why is there work? Why is there family? Why are there friendships? Because if you haven't asked that question, you are just living reactively. And then when we live reactively, you start to wonder, why can't I see God? Why can't I feel God? Why can't I see God as clearly as Tan so-and-so who does like 500 metanyas on Good Friday, even when there's 400? <laughs> and you're not going to know how to answer it. You, won't know, you, won't, you actually won't get an answer. Because you're asking a question about health while living unhealthily. You don't know what that experience is like. And then you're demanding somebody to describe to you what does it look like to be healthy? And so then they'll tell you, oh, it's amazing, right? I didn't know I could run a marathon. I didn't know that I could breathe freely again. I didn't know that I could, like, get rid of my apnea. 
right? I didn't know what it was like to sleep a peaceful night until I slept a peaceful night. And until you have it, you can just be like, oh, that's really nice. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just have a different experience than you. Yeah, yeah. And this fake sophistication thing that we do, right? Versus why don't you figure out how to get your life back in order, right? If somebody wants to run a marathon, that's lecture three, asceticism, then I better at least, like, get off my couch, right? Like, like do I ever go for a walk, right? Do I, do I get the sense of calories in, calories out? Do I, do I have a sense of these things? Because if I don't, then how on earth am I going to try and understand these things? And so if you lose sight of the objective, you lose that connection because this creation that God made, he put himself in unity with it. And he said, I am health. I'm goodness. Goodness and evil don't coexist. Health and non-health, they don't, they don't mix. I only think of Morrissey when I say that. Um, in that, I can't be having good lungs and bad lungs at the same time. My kidney can't be good and bad at the same time. It's either healthy or it isn't healthy. My lungs are either healthy or they're not healthy. And so this experience of the Holy Spirit is going to be foreign or distant to you if you don't even know how the Holy Spirit sounds. And if you have these objectives, then the way you approach the Bible will also change. Because now you look at the Bible, it's not like, oh yeah, good, God is good, God is so nice, God helps people, God helps the poor. Um, there are some times where God's really pissed there are some times where he's dealt with the same action completely differently with two different people. Why? And if you don't read your Bible trying to understand that, then you don't know who God is. And so if you're trying to figure out how do I live objectively in the faith, and you don't know that, then, then, then you're, you're going to struggle with that. When you read your Bible, who is God? That's the question. When you pray, who are you talking to? I know that Angelo's into philosophy and debates, right? So if I'm going to go to him, I'm going to be like, oh, I like that there's this aspect. Let's go have this debate, right? Or let's have this dialogue. Versus if I'm like, I hate having a discussion, right? And I go up to him being like, I didn't say this to have a conversation, right? Then it'd be like, well, then you're talking to the wrong guy, right? Because he's a dude with a personality and, and, and he makes decisions. He's autonomous. So is God. So if you're stepping into prayer to be like, hey, God, for like this five minutes that I've carved out for you in my day, because I'm so busy, um, I would like you to match me right now. So here's my list. Uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm so sad. I'm so worried. And I really, really hope that you can help this out. I know I haven't been like doing the checklist lately. Um, but like you're the boss. You're the bomb. I know you can do everything. I'm telling all my friends how great you are. <laughs> And God say thanks, thanks for coming in. Um, and and the, the beauty of it is that he he respects even that. Like like that that's that's the bizarre part to me, right? Like if that were me, like it's feel it, like get lost. Um, whereas God is not saying that. God's like, okay, I, I would have loved to talk about some other things too, but it's okay. You're really busy. So goodness 
is the mindset of every Christian, I'm sorry if I've gone way over, I don't know what time it is, um, that the question of existence is the core of your identity, is the core of all existence, is the core of every good thing. Goodness is not an attribute, it's not an outcome, um, it is not an action. Goodness is a person, and the person is God. Righteousness is a state of being, not a concept. Um, glory be to God forever. Amen.